And she sang that, and I can't sing it like she, but I can say it. Jesus has led me all the way. He has led me all the way. And you are part of that wonderful pilgrimage. In fact, spent more than half of my life here in this place. And how much Jesus has led me and led us all together along the way. My mother, this is her birthday. I was born on March the 13th. And my mother's birthday was March the 14th. I was nearly an hour and a half short of being born on her birthday. And um, my mother was an incredible Christian woman, married to an incredible Christian man, my dad, Charlie. And um, my mother wrote me when I was away in the service. Uh, before that, my mother would often write notes and leave them on my pillow when I'd be out at uh, night, come home when I was in high school, there'd be a note on my pillow uh, from my mother. And then when I went off for those three and a half years, <clears throat> I think my mother wrote me every day or just about. And some of you who were uh, part of that time and place will remember that sometimes you didn't get mail for weeks and weeks. I remember being on board ship once, 21 days, and another time, 19 days. And, and uh, all of you who were in the service at one time or another, if you were away where the mail didn't come every day, you can remember when they had mail call? Boy, and everybody showed up, and man, some were just, just you could see their face fall. They didn't get any letters. But boy, I'd get a bundle of them always. And do you remember when the mail call came and you got those letters, everybody would take their letter and they'd get off by themselves. You remember? You wanted to get away and you wanted to, wanted to hear uh, from home and you wanted to hear from people who loved you. And my mother wrote me. And on every letter she wrote, uh, she put a verse of scripture. And the two most prominent verses she wrote, sometimes she'd write the whole verse. Other times she would just put the reference. But two passages of scripture, her favorite. One was the 14th chapter of John. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Man, I like that phrase. And Jesus said, where I am, you will be. What a promise. And then another passage of scripture that I believe she quoted more often than the, uh, the one I just quoted is the third chapter of Ephesians. It was Paul's prayer for us, <clears throat> for the church. And my mother was really addressing this prayer to me. Uh, and if you want to follow in the scripture, it's page 1158 in the Bible there in the book rack in front of you. Or turn to the third chapter of Ephesians in the 14th verse and let me read it and then share a few thoughts with you about it. Paul writing to us, the church. He's writing to, as much to us as he was to the church at Ephesus. These are letters to us. From God, through Paul, to us. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family of believers in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit 
in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Think of that. More than we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. Well, she speaks first to the father, and let me say a few words about my dad. My dad was a wonderful Christian man. I have many warm, marvelous memories of Charlie. And last night when we went into the Buckhorn Saloon for that birthday bash, I was reminded, in fact, I'd been reminded of it many times when I'd seen it out at the Lone Star a pavilion and other places, but something about being back downtown on Houston Street where it was when I saw it when I was a 10-year-old boy holding my father's hand and we walked in there and he showed me all those incredible things. I remember it vividly. And last night when I went in there with my family, my children and my grandchildren, and I thought of Charlie and how so often he took me to good places and how he led me in the way that he lived Uh, to be hopefully, uh, be marvelous to be the kind of man uh, that my dad was. Father, this word just jumps off the page. I kneel before the father. You know, there are two kinds of fathers. There's the paternity father and then there's the fatherhood father. Some people that plant a seed and impregnate a woman and then they disappear. That's paternity. But fatherhood is not only planting the seed of life. It is nurturing that seed when it is born. It is holding that child and loving that child and guiding that child and healing that child and helping that child and feeding that child. That's fatherhood. Let me tell you, God is no absentee landlord. He doesn't just bring us into new life. He doesn't just create us and then he move off. He is with us today and tomorrow And forever and ever and ever. I will never leave you, he said, nor forsake you. Some fathers hit the road. Some fathers never see their child. May God have mercy on them. Fathers, being a father is more than just creating life in the womb of a woman. Being a father means being there. For better, worse, richer, poorer. Sickness and in health, loving and cherishing forever and ever. May God help us be that kind of father. God is that kind of father. William Barclay is a wonderful writer and commentator, and most of you have read, or I urge you do read his many books or his commentaries. Um, and he tells a story. Uh, he lived in England, teached and preached and wrote in England. And he tells a story of a little boy 
who's heard that his father, this was during World War II, who had heard that his father had been made a brigadier. That's the equivalent of a general plus in the American army. He had heard that his father had been made a brigadier and exalted to the rank of big brigadiers. An incredible recognition. And when he heard it, he grew silent for a few moments, thinking, and then he said, Do you think he will mind if I still call him daddy? No, he won't mind. Do you realize you can call God daddy? The great God of the ages who flung the stars to the foremost corners of the universe. James Weldon Johnson's magnificent poem who in his imagery saw God kneel down by the bank of a river and pick up some clay and mold that clay into a human form and then breathe into that clay the breath of life and man became a living soul. Do you believe that great God of the ages who spoke worlds into existence, who manages the universe. Do you believe a God like that sits down in a rocking chair and takes his children in his arms and holds them in his lap and you call him daddy? That's what Jesus said. That's what we're told in the Bible to say. Fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, right before that book you have in in Ephesians. Listen to this. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That word, Abba, means daddy. You can call him daddy. You may not want to do that in public prayer. It would, be, it would be wonderful. But it's such an intimate term. Such a personal term. When we pray publicly, we pray, Our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, He is that. And we would never for one moment minimize that, nor demean that. But it's one thing to be Almighty God. It's another thing to be an all-present Daddy. And when your heart is broken, you can crawl up in his lap and he'll hold you. And when you've skinned your knees, he'll pick you up and he'll put some medicine on it and he'll hug the hurt away. The next time you pray, maybe in the morning, quietly by yourself, address him that way. Daddy. Daddy. promises to give us inner strength. He says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I put a big old red circle around that word dwell. That word, the two Greek words to describe uh, dwelling or residence. And one, this word that Paul uses here, dwell, means permanent resident. Permanent resident. Resident, not temporary resident. 
Not someone who just comes in occasionally. Not someone who just rents an apartment for a month. He dwells permanently within us. Surrounding us, encompassing us, supporting us, loving us. A permanent resident. God is an ever-present God. He dwells with us and never moves out. Never. Now only the Lord himself can perform this marvelous thing. Only God incarnate in Jesus Christ can do this. Only Christ can perform it. We cannot do it. We cannot get to him. That's why he came to us. All the external ordinances in the world, all external forms of religion can never produce an internal transformation. God moves into us. God comes to us. We love him because he first loved us. When we call upon him, it's because he's already called upon us and placed in us the desire to know him. All of salvation is the initiative of God. This is the distinguishing feature, among many others, of the Christian faith. In Christianity and in Christianity alone, do you have a seeking God? In all the other religions of the world, you have God trying to find out, men trying to find out God's unlisted number. How to get to God. How to, to pacify Him because of the things I've done. That's what the other religions of the world teach and preach. Only in Christianity do we proclaim a God who comes to us. He takes the initiative. Salvation is his idea, not ours. Forgiveness is his idea, not ours. Grace is his idea, not ours. God's great incomparable initiative. We cannot do it alone. Paul Tournier, if you've not read any of Paul Tournier's books, I recommend them. That marvelous Swiss physician whose writing blessed all of our lives. And some of us had the privilege of being with him in some retreats. What an incredible person he was. And uh, Guilt and Grace is a book that's in our library. I mentioned it so much when he first came out that we finally bought, I think, two or three copies to have in the library. And I'd urge you to read it. He wrote many other books, The Meaning of Persons, The Meaning of Gifts, uh, The Meaning of Names, every book, anything. I don't know which book it, it is in, but in one of them, Paul Tournier says that there are two things a person cannot do alone. Two things you cannot do alone. Quoting Paul Tournier, two things you cannot do alone. One is to be married. And the second is to be a Christian. You don't be a Christian on your own. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself religion. It's God doing it as a gift to us. God's great incomparable gift to us. Only Christ can perform it. You read through this passage of scripture, brief though it may be, six times you will read the word in I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have all power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. His power that it is at work within us. 
in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Over and over and over, he uses that preposition in. I agree with Martin Luther who said the strength of the Christian religion was in its personal pronouns. That's true. And I agree. My Lord, my God, my Savior, my Shepherd, my friend, my Daddy. But I believe not only that the strength of the Christian religion resides in personal pronouns, I believe it also resides in prepositions. James Stewart, the great Scottish Presbyterian writer and preacher and teacher at Edinburgh, has written a marvelous book. It's also in our library, and I would recommend it. It's a, it's a study of the Apostle Paul, and it's entitled, A Man in Christ. A Man in Christ. And Dr. Stewart says that over 60 times in his letters, in the New Testament, over 60 times in Paul's writing, he uses the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, a man in Christ. You are a man in Christ. You are a woman in Christ. Christianity is an indwelling experience. It is not an external accomplishment. It is an internal transformation produced by the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus Christ and our faith response to that incredible love. It is inclusive. Together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If you want to get some idea of how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, just take a good look at the cross. It points in four directions. It points down to the depths of the earth as it points down to the depths of our heart. God's love reaching to the very bottom of our hearts. Down there where all the dregs of yesterdays we can't forget, God takes and obliterates and forgives and erases. Reaches down. It reaches up to the heights of heaven. It reaches up. How high is the love of God? It reaches up to an almighty God who became of a loving, live-in father, daddy, for us and with us. How wide and how long? How wide and how long? Reaching out to infinity. The twain shall never meet. There is no limit to God's love. There is no limit to his grace. There are no boundaries to his salvation. How wide, how long? The love of God. Now the fruit of the Spirit, how often you hear this and read this in this passage of Scripture and throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, humility, self-control. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. And that's why you read that word love three or four times here in this brief prayer of Paul's, in and love. Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, Topeka, Kansas, said, love cures people, both the ones that give it and the ones that receive it. Isn't that good? Love cures people. 
the ones that give it and the ones that receive it. We've been given love. We've received it. Let's give it. Nothing the world needs more than for people who have received his love to give it. You know, so often people think of the Apostle Paul as, as the messenger of faith and that John is the Apostle of love. No, that's, that's simplifying it. Who was it that wrote the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians? It was Paul. What is he talking about here? But God's incredible, amazing love, incomparable love for us. And he says that we're to be filled with his spirit. Now, when I use that term, some people get a little, little itchy about it. They hear about being filled with the spirit. And, and they think that being filled with the spirit means that you can jump higher than anybody else. <laughs> and being filled with the spirit is going to make you, some, going to make you kind of go crazy or something. Now, I'll tell you what being filled with the Spirit is going to make you do. It's going to make you go out and love everybody and be filled with joy and with peace and with long-suffering and with gentleness and goodness and humility and self-control. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't make a nut out of you. It makes a Christian out of you. To be like Him. And you know, every one of us or to be filled with the Spirit. If you being evil know how to give good, we already listen. Remember, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, to them that what? Ask Him. Ask Him. Just ask Him. You don't have to try to twist His arm. He is not some reluctant God. He's a daddy who wants to give you his love and his joy and his peace. Just ask him. Many times in the scripture, it says those followers of the Lord were filled with the spirit. It's not just a one-time sort of cataclysmic event. It's a constant everyday thing to pray, Daddy, fill me with your spirit. Well, more than a few years ago, my mother and my father gave me life and love. And they not only gave me physical life and love, but they created a home with a Christian atmosphere, worshiping in the church, practicing it at home. And because of them and their example, their leadership, at nine or 10, I can't remember exactly how old I was, they were the ones who were in effect the midwives of my second birth. I was born again by the Spirit of God. Twice born. Every Christian is twice born. 
Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit? Or you may be a member of this church or another church. It's wonderful. You may have been christened or baptized or immersed or poured or whatever form of outward expression you may have given. Only you know whether or not you have been born of the Spirit of God. For the Bible says, if any man has not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. You can belong to the church and not belong to him unless you're born of the Spirit. So I want to ask you to give yourself an opportunity this morning to come maybe to kneel and pray and return to your seat or to come and say, I want to follow Christ as my Savior or to say, I want to be a part of this church. You say, what do I have to do to be a part of this church? Just express it openly. We'll be here to greet you. I'll meet you as you come. Whatever you're doing, whatever, wherever you're coming from, how deep, how far, how wide you may have been, he'll bring you to himself if you will trust him. I'll be here to greet you. God's invitation, not Buckner's. God's spirit, not mine. Moving your heart to make whatever decision he prompts you to make this morning. Easy to say no to Buckner. Don't say no to the loving spirit of your daddy. Say yes. Let's stand and sing.